Welcome to Figuring It Out. I'm Ashley Garrison. I'm a 21-year-old rising senior at Columbia who's, well, figuring things out. I started this podcast for everyone out there who is just trying to get their lives together, whether that means picking a college major or deciding what to do after graduation. On each episode, I'll be interviewing some peers who I really admire about how they're navigating college, friendships, their careers, and everything in between. Those peers are doing pretty cool things. They're fighting for social justice, winning NCAA fencing championships, and more. We'll discuss things like how they overcame obstacles and learned to be okay with change. I am very excited to learn from all of these conversations, and I hope you'll join me so we can figure things out together. Now, let's meet today's guest. Today's guests are two accomplished individuals who know a lot about the difficulty of finding balance while also trying to perform well. Siddharth Kumbla and Julian Maldonado have been friends since their first year at Columbia, where they are on the school's championship-winning fencing team. Julian is a rising senior, and he's also a captain for the team. And while he is passionate about fencing, he's also passionate about giving back to his community. As a pre-med student, Julian hopes to become a doctor one day and help combat medical racism. Siddharth is also a rising senior, and he's studying economics with the hopes of working in finance. Sid is a very talented fencer. He's currently ranked number two nationally for college fencing. He was also ranked third in the world for under 20 men's foil fencing. Despite all of their success as college seniors, they are still figuring things out. And sometimes it requires drinking a lot of bland tasting cold brew. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. Here's my chat with Sid and Julian. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Sid. Hi, Julian. Hi. Um, hey. So before we get started, I just wanted you all to introduce yourselves and say who you are. Yeah, I'll go sure. first. Um, I'm Sid. My name is uh, rising, <laughs> rising Senior at Columbia. And um, so I go to uh, what I'm in CC. Um, majoring in economics, also on the fencing team, um, which is a big part of my life there. Um, actually roomed with Julian last semester in Carlton Arms. So um, we've been close friends ever since freshman year. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. My name's Julian. I'm also a rising senior, also on the fencing team with Sid. I'm one of the captains for this year. I'm really excited for the upcoming season. I'm a biology major. Um, on the pre-medical track, so hoping to go to medical school after I graduate. And me and Sid took a couple of Spanish classes freshman year. And um, moving forward from there, being on the team together, we became very close friends, recently roommates. So to transition, um, I want to talk about fencing now. (laughs) Mind you, I don't know much about fencing, so bear with me. I tried to come up with some really good questions, though. But first, I'm interested in hearing about how you both got into fencing and what attracted you to the sport, because I feel like it's not like most little kids don't say, like, I want to, you know, fence. So what made you want to do that? Yeah, sure. So uh, my older brother, it's actually kind of a funny story how I got into fencing. My older brother was always uh, less athletic um, compared to his peers. He was like two inches shorter than everybody like, however, like, whatever time that he was growing up, and he just didn't excel in any sports, and so my parents just ended up putting him in fencing, 
and they just put me in the same sport because I was turning six years old and like they needed to put me somewhere. And um, I just got really into it because of the one-on-one aspect. Like I'm a really competitive person and just feeling like you are solely responsible for winning. And it's just like a very proportional sport in that way. So that like really excited me, motivated me to work hard. Yeah. So I actually was really into soccer when I was younger. So around like when I was eight and or eight or nine, I was taking soccer pretty seriously. Um, and unfortunately, like I got injured and kind of to keep me active, my parents kept me into fencing. Um, it was just something they were just like, why don't you just try this um, to keep you active? And then we'll go back to soccer um, once you kind of recovered. And then like the story kind of just continued on from there. Uh, got really involved in defensing um, just because of like how much I liked the sport was pretty bad, like pretty much all of my youth years. But um, like regardless, I just loved doing it. So I kind of continued on that path. And I know that the fencing season ended a bit abruptly for you all. And like, I mean, all of our semesters ended abruptly, but I imagine like it was different for you all because you were on a team. So I was wondering like, what was the transition period like for you? Like going from, you know, going to practice and everything and then not. Yeah. I mean, like it was definitely like, it it definitely sucked. Like I would say that's like the biggest way to describe it. Right. So like you're really training super hard um, defense at these competitions and then um, kind of out of your hands is taken away from you. That being said, I think, what we became a reality is that it wasn't just happening to our school, right? The fencing community is pretty small. And um, we were able to see like a lot of other fencers and other schools kind of going through the same thing. So in that sense, there was some sort of camaraderie, like where we were like, we understand that this situation is needs to be taken seriously. And while we would really enjoy to continue fencing and training, right? That's not the responsible thing to do. Um, And it's been, it's been different, right? Like right now I haven't been training. California is pretty much closed. So, um, but like it definitely, like I realized how much of my time I spent fencing and like training and doing stuff and like hanging out with my fencing friends. Um, and like that kind of is like, now that we're all in like kind of an isolation state, I guess, um, I just reflect on like how much fun that was and how much time we got to spend doing that, doing what we really like to do. Yeah, I'd like to echo the statements of Sid and that it was it was a really tough adjustment for us. Um, but I think particularly the, the rigid schedule that we had set up for ourselves week to week as student athletes um, going into our postseason and particularly NCAA championships, it was really tough to just kind of pack up and go home in the middle of all of that and completely restructure, you know, with online classes and like Sid said, not being able to hang out with the with your teammates, um, it was it was definitely a very difficult transition on a personal level for a, a lot of people on the team, and I struggled with how to with that myself and how to help other people through that. And you mentioned the structure, so I was wondering, like, when you are at school and you know in season, what does a typical day look like for you, and how do you balance everything that you have to do? So me and Sid, um, being juniors and I guess getting into a little bit more of a difficult classes required for our major, um, had some pretty crazy schedules. And thankfully, we were roommates, so we were able to support each other through that. 
but often a typical day would start at 6.30, 7 in the morning. The night before, we would often purchase cans of of, um, of coffee, of cold brew coffee, and leave them right by the, the head of our bed and like set our alarms early in the morning. And um, and I, I would usually go off to the library. I think Sid may have had an early class, but we would just get started super early and try to get as much done as possible before our first class or before practice for me was at 8 a.m. And then any time that we spent away from our dorm um, on a weekday was, was in the library or in the gym. And then we'd come back at around, you know, nine, maybe talk for like half an hour and then probably go back to sleep. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say like, yeah, just going off what Julian said, right? It was really structured in the sense that we were pretty compatible in, in like making sure that each other were like obviously doing well and then also like kind of competitive, like we were in a sense competing all the time, like to make sure that we're studying as much as possible as well as training as much as possible. Um, but it was very healthy competition in that sense. Like I remember like one night I had like an exam and then I, I went to sleep. And then the next morning when I woke up, like you see that black coffee purchased from Westside just waiting for me. And Julio knew I had an exam. So he has that like laid out for me. Uh, and then the same thing happens in practice. Like we see each other, we ask each other how practice goes. And it's like, it was kind of like built in that like, and I wouldn't say it was much of like a, like it, obviously it's very challenging, but it wasn't like we didn't, we hated it. Like we, we enjoyed like really like working pretty hard um, because we enjoy practicing, right? We enjoy studying to some extent, I guess. And then um, like we, it was kind of like you really enjoyed like being just the process of kind of going through this repetition of the day. Um, yeah. How much would you say that you usually would sleep? Uh, complications usually arose in sleep when we were spending a lot of time um, out with our friends in the latter days of the week. And so sometimes if we were staying up and hanging out with, with friends, you get to bed at, you know, two, wake up again at seven or eight. So it could be down to like six hours. Although I feel like me and Sid were generally pretty good about getting a lot of sleep. I don't know. What do you I mean, think, I, would, I would say that like, so like, I feel like a lot of people, like if they go out or they do, or they up like late at night studying, like they'll sacrifice sleep They'll or they'll, no, no, they won't sacrifice sleep. They'll be like, let me get my eight hours and let me just wake up late in the morning. Um, that probably wasn't the case for us. Like, so regardless of what time we slept, right, we we're still waking up in the morning um, at that same time. So in terms of like sleep, like some days we're getting like eight hours of sleep because we got everything done in the day and it was like a nice day. But like on other days, like we very well knew that we were sacrificing our sleep to do something else. Um, but in that sense, like the routine basically stayed the same um, throughout consistently. So yeah, I, I would say that I don't think we ever went below like four, four yeah. or five hours of sleep. Yeah. I think we were like six hours. Yeah. You know, not a lot of all nighters um, from my side, at least. I don't know. Maybe Sid had a couple of those, but. What type of cold brew was this? I'm curious. Is this like a specific, is this like a it's Starbucks bad. cold brew in a can? It was it's terrible. It was the lowest, like... lowest carbohydrate concentration, oh, yeah. highest caffeine. It was like the nitro cold brew. Nitro cold brew. And buy from disgusting. Westside, it's like this small. It was yeah, so it was bad. Tiny. It's the most disgusting. Oh. And the thing is like, we would wake up not 
don't do any we wouldn't do anything else but just chug the cold brew and then start our days like normal and it was like the most disgusting thing ever but it was like it was it was pretty fun like honestly it was, it was terrible drink, i can't drink plain coffee I, I did drink a lot of coffee but i could never drink plain coffee and then i think i switched to red bull actually because i found that that was a little bit more effective for me we, we, um, we were mixing in some red bulls in there yeah I think it, I think it tastes like soda. It's crazy that they make, created like a whole new flavor, like Red Bull flavor is like, like you don't really get that anywhere else. It's like, a, yeah, it's like a brand new soda flavor almost. So I was also wondering um, when you guys first came to Columbia and, you know, you're on, on the fencing team and this is your first time, you know, being on a college team, obviously, like what were your initial expectations in terms of what you were looking to get out of it? And so far, do you think that you've fulfilled that? Hmm. Um, okay, I guess I can go first. Um, I I was like, I guess when I came to Columbia, I, I already knew they had a really good fencing program. So I was going to be part of a great fencing program with great athletes. I didn't really expect to kind of get as involved as I am right now, probably um, involved in the sense that like, I spend a pretty much solid time of my day, um, just surrounded by like friends that are teammates. And we do a lot of stuff together outside of just practicing. Um, but like, in terms of like training and stuff like, like that, and like the traveling, I would say it's pretty consistent with what I imagined would be like, um, going to Columbia and being an athlete there. I guess the only thing that's like I didn't expect is like how hard sometimes Columbia is when you just like kind of don't expect it. And balancing that with um, with training was, was was a little like difficult at first. But once you kind of get the routine done, right, it's it it's much easier, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Sid for the most part. Um, I went in as not a, uh, a true recruit. So I was kind of. Um, you know, like, like not one of the recruiting spots were used to recruit me. I was, I was what's called a preferred walk-on. And so our head coach wrote a letter to admissions advocating that I be on the team um, and thus like be accepted. And so he, he helped me get in. But um, I guess as a college student, everybody kind of wonders how you divide your time up. And I really expected the fencing team to kind of spoon feed me, I guess, in the beginning. And I was disappointed in the first week when there wasn't constant attention given to the first years. But I quickly learned how to manage my time and how to get information from the upperclassmen on the fencing team in a way that would most benefit me, how to take care of my business so I could be the best teammate that I could be. And it's uh, definitely a process, but it was something that I really enjoyed doing and an incredible addition to my college experience, I'd say. I've been thinking a lot about recently. I don't really know why. I guess I've been doing a lot of journalism and that makes me think about it. But it's just like the concept of, of growth and what that means to me, I guess, in terms of journalism, but also just in terms of just like in general. And it's very difficult to quantify <laughs> because it's hard to quantify, like to measure how much better I'm getting at something that's very subjective, like writing or whatever. So I was wondering how you both measure growth in terms of fencing. Like, is that how many bouts you win? It's called bouts, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So do you measure it by that or is it just a feeling of you just feel like you're getting better? Yeah, I would say fencing is super frustrating. Go ahead, Julian, actually, I think. I, I So I came into Columbia with, um, I guess, not as great training as some other people. And I was immediately um, assigned to a coach who was very strict on technique. And Sid had that same coach. And that was another reason that we became very close. And I think Sid will agree when I say that I improved a lot technically. And it was something that you can see um like very obviously when you're just watching somebody fence and also like the comfort level that you have when you have much better technique, it's like fundamentals of basketball, like how they talk about that. But um, definitely improving that is one concrete way of, of measuring growth and fencing from the way that I see it. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I guess I also am kind of like questioning whether I'm growing better at fencing or not all the time. Right. So like, Fencing is kind of frustrating in the sense that like some days you'll just lose to people that like you've never lost to before. And then you kind of doubt yourself and you, you're like, am I getting better or am I just getting worse? Are these people getting better? Um, I think that regardless, like you, there is like a moving average, right. Of in terms of how you're doing in the sport. Right. And um, that average isn't just measured by how many bouts you win, but also like how well you're doing in practice compared to your, appears how well you're doing in competitions compared to your peers and you don't really want to single-handedly select just one competition one practice and kind of judge yourself on that but it's just like it's like the everyday thing right if you're like if you're beating this guy consistently and you haven't been before you're probably getting better than him at least but you don't know that unless you like have that kind of average out right so i wouldn't say like that's been my idea of growth so far, but it's also been like just kind of confusing in the sense that some days like I get really frustrated. I'm like, and, and we see this all the time in practice, like we get frustrated and we're like, like, am I getting better or am I just doing this and not getting better? And what, what do I need to do to get better? Um, but yeah. And I was also wondering, I guess you guys kind of touched upon this earlier, but what do you do for fun when you are not fencing? and I guess, how do you find the balance between wanting to practice a lot and get better, but then also wanting to do other things? Because I'm imagining that like not fencing and taking a break is actually helpful. So yeah, that's my next question. The topic of huge debate between me and Sid. And uh, we've, we've come up with some sort of a theory on how we need to approach our lives in college as student athletes and Columbia fencers. And it's that there's three spheres of our life that there's the fencing sphere that there's the academic sphere and then there's the social sphere and we need to evenly distribute our um, efforts between those three spheres and find somewhat of a perfect balance as Sid was saying to excel as much as we can in all of them and we would check in with each other we were you know going out and having fun with friends too much then maybe our other two spheres were suffering or if we were fencing too much our grades were suffering we felt lonely if we were studying too much we were doing poorly in competitions and felt lonely so really trying to keep a balance of, of all the different things that were important to us um, was something that me and Sid talked about and focused on a lot and it was nice because we cared about generally the same exact things yeah, I would say like we followed this mentality of like, I mean, you kind of hear it like everywhere, like the work hard, like 
party hard like mentality I guess is what could define like <laughs> Julian and our relationship right so like we're waking up at 6 a.m and the reason why we're waking up at 6 a.m is because tonight is like senior night right and we want to go out on senior night so like we have to get everything done before then to make sure that like we go out and that means completing like the sphere of academics or completing the sphere of fencing getting our training in so that we can also fit in that third sphere of like socializing um so like i mean it was it's fun like i i wouldn't say like it's very like like i guess there's like this picture where like student athletes or like um athletes in college in general are always like sad about like how much they have to train and how much they have to work and also like they have to have socialized like i would actually say that it's like pretty fun like we like i enjoy going to practice every day i enjoy like studying every day and i also enjoy having a social life and getting all three of those in in a day is very fulfilling um so i think that like that Absolutely fulfillment is really fun um and like a really good part of my college experience so far i feel like you guys definitely have a better grasp on balance than I ever, ever, have ever had. I, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I have a hard time walking away from the library. I think, <laughs> I think that is my issue because I was talking to my friend about this and we were saying that like work is kind of like there, there's always more work to be done. And like, if you give yourself five hours to do something like you'll find a way to make it take five hours but then if you give yourself like half like half of that like yeah. you will find a way to get it done in that amount of time and I think I just realized that I think I also I think I had this idea in my head that the longer I stayed in the library or like wherever I was studying like the longer I studied like that that just had to I guess I wasn't wasn't even studying I was like writing or reading or something but anyway I I thought that that was going to necessarily equate to like me doing better. And it really usually did not, <laughs> but yeah, it seems like you guys do a really good job of balancing things. I think, yeah. And to that, I would respond to things is that we're very fortunate as uh, people on a sports team to be almost like forced to budget our time and also provided with a whole tribe of, of, comrades who are also going through the same struggle as you and trying to figure out how to budget time efficiently and often that's that creates a positive feedback loop where we're continuously improving each other but i think sid will agree that sometimes you know we we did not achieve that balance and we felt really bad about it you know and we were really really low for a couple of days out of the week or maybe a, maybe an entire week you know yeah, so we, we weren't. We we like to we like to present ourselves as as having balanced everything perfectly, but we definitely made mistakes and you know regretted them a lot. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think like it's like all the it's like the phrase like the grass is greener on the other side, right? So like some people will be like, wow, like you're able to balance like fencing, academics, and you guys are like very social, like that's amazing. And um, I guess like you can see that from from some sides, but a lot of the days like we're like struggling getting through like just like the day in, in itself. Um, so it is like a continuous learning process. And I would say to like, I wish I would, I'm like envious that like you're able to stay in the library. Like I get distracted really often. So like I would, I would like the, the grass is greener on the other side would be like, I would love to stay in the library and kind of get all my work done at one time. But sometimes I have to do like a two hour Butler session and then I have to take a break and come back and like, 
that's like just how I'm able to like do it. But um, yeah, I definitely would like the picture we present ourselves as like always having everything figured out. Um, but that I think is like a grotesque um, underestimation for like every college athlete or even college student, I think. Yeah, I think for me, the social sphere, I always, I don't know, I, I was always like very quick to let that, to let that go. And I remember right, right before we had to leave, my friends came and visited me. One of them came from New Haven and the other one came all the way from Michigan. And she was there, they were there like the whole entire weekend and they were going out to like go do something. And I was like, oh, I should really stay and like, you know, finish this finish this essay and then do my like study abroad application. And I was like, I'll just meet up with you guys later. And I just took like three hours and like did my work. And I was just in my room and they were out in New York or whatever. And my friend and I always talk about how stupid that was that I did that <laughs> because now I'm definitely not going to go like study abroad. I don't know. I think I realized that I'll probably like never regret doing something fun and like oftentimes the extra hour or extra two hours that I spend like working on working on an essay, like yeah. often doesn't even lead to me getting a better grade. Um, but yeah. I, I was also wondering, like in terms of what you guys want to do professionally, how did you figure out what you wanted to do? Like, who, like Sid, what do you want to do? Because Julian, you said you're pre-med. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get into something in finance right now. Um, and right now I want to, I want to do something that's very challenging, but also like kind of sides on this competitive like spirit that I've been go growing up with, um, with fencing. Right. So I, I want to do something that kind of challenges me every day. Um, and I haven't like specifically figured anything out. Um, but that being said, like, I think why I chose finance and, um, why I want to get into it is it specifically comes from that, like very competitive mindset where I want to do something that like every day is kind of like you're competing against um, fellow firms or, or fellow whatever market or number or numbers um, to get something down and to achieve that in that sense. That's what I kind of want to do. But that, like I said, like I didn't really figure that out until maybe end of sophomore year. Like I was kind of like, just like, what do I do? And I was seeing all my friends like very amazingly figure out what they wanted to do. Um, and like this kind of led to like me talking to a few people and kind of figuring it out in that sense. Um, but even then I would say it's like set, like I'm, I, I feel I'm a hundred percent, but I know in the back of my mind, I'm like always like thinking about what do I actually want to do um, in terms of specific to the finance industry. Julian, did you yeah. always know that you wanted to know? Okay. <laughs> Definitely not. I, I knew that I was, um, I had a tendency towards the sciences and um, both my parents work in public interest as uh, lawyers for nonprofits. And so they were always pushing me to do something to improve my community or to, you know, uh, uplift um, my, my family's Mexican-American and they both work in like Mexican-American public interest or activism law. And um, I thought being a, a doctor, especially with all the medical racism, that we see today, the, the discrepancies in, in treatment and, you know, inability for English-speaking doctors to treat Spanish-speaking patients in the, in the U.S. Um, that I could fill, fill a void in the medical field there, um, assuming I'm able to become a doctor at the end of the day. 
pretty tough road, but I'm making my way there. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm thankful that I don't have to face the stress of a lot of other people because like you just kind of decide that you become a doctor and you have a whole path laid out for you. Like I don't have to trailblaze and create my own way and assemble my own resume. Like I know what I need to do. It's, you know, there's advisors and supplies there for me. So. Yeah. I, I used to want to be a broadcast journalist. Like that was all I wanted to do. I don't know if I ever told you, I don't think I ever told you guys this, but I went to Syracuse for my first year. Did I tell you that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So (laughs) yeah, I went to Syracuse and I only, when I applied to college, I only applied to schools that had journalism majors because I just knew I just knew that I was going to be a TV news reporter or anchor or yeah, one of those things. And then I don't think I've ever told anyone this story besides like two people, but I was taking this uh, modern mathematics class, just like something to fulfill a requirement. And we had to, we were doing stuff with like interest rates and like calculating payments and stuff. And of course my mind, I started thinking about my student loans and like, I was like, I should really figure out like, what my payments will be if I continue along this rate and like how, like how feasible will that be with my uh, TV news reporter salary? <clears throat> and so I went to the financial aid office. This was like a cold Syracuse day. It was so snowy. It just like looking back, everything about that day was so bad. I should have known it was going to be bad. And I went in there and the lady she like calculated the things for me. And I just started crying like real tears because oh, no. I was like, I'm going to have to live legitimately in a box because this will be impossible. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was kind of freaking out and she had no remorse for me whatsoever. She just like handed me a <laughs> tissue. She handed me a tissue and she was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like nothing's really going to change, like in terms of how much financial aid you get. And I was like, okay, nothing's going to change on your end, but (laughs) um, something's going to change on my end because I can't stay at this school. And so I left, I left the meeting. I just remember I was walking through the snow. I think classes were canceled this day or like, I don't even know. It was really snowy. And I went back to my room and I called my friend and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, you're going to just apply to some more schools and see like what else is out there. And I just became so determined with getting out of Syracuse, New York. I, I didn't, I didn't even like hate Syracuse. I really didn't. I, I was a little bit bored maybe, but it wasn't like I was miserable there. Like it's a fun school. I feel like they give you a lot to do or whatever. And then I, I'm so glad that I did leave because now that I'm not a journalism major, I realized I don't want to do journalism, but in terms of like figuring out what I want to do professionally, I feel like it was such after I left Syracuse, it was such a rocky road in terms of figuring out what I wanted to do because I thought I was going to be an econ major at Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> like I really thought I thought that was going to happen. I think that happens to a lot of people actually. Um, and then I could not do that. I, I, I got kind of freaked out about it. And at the time I was like, I can't do this and do spec. Like I need something like a little easier. And so it took me so long to find a major that I wanted to do. And then I think it took me even longer to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, and I also feel like after I decided that I didn't want to do journalism anymore, I felt bad. Like, I don't know if you all ever feel bad when you change plans that you've had in your head for so long. Like I'm, you say, I'm going to do this and you tell yourself that's what you're going to do. And then you've been telling other people that's what you're going to do. And so I felt like a sham. I was like, 
I'm not an econ major. I'm not a journalism major. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I was also probably struggling to get like a story published at spec probably. So yeah, everything was falling apart, but then it kind of, kind of came together. Um, (laughs) But I was wondering in terms of how fencing influences the way you approach other areas of your life, like how do you think it affects you? Because I know for me, the things that I do, like, like my hobbies, like they do impact the way that I look at other things. Hmm. Well, that's, that's really good to hear that, you know, after all that turbulence at Syracuse, <laughs> it's, you know, stuff felt like it started to come together. Um, in response to your question, I think that, uh, at least for me, fencing has me approaching things from like a very competitive, um, you know, outlook. And that that may be good. That may be that may not work in my favor sometimes. But I know that it definitely motivates me to do really well in um, science classes where there's often a curve, and not everybody can get an A in the class. So you're basically competing against the other students to see who can get the highest grade, and that will often motivate me to wake up early and you know get my studying in so I can make sure that I do well enough because I know that's what I need to do to do better than everybody else it's kind of a fencing outlook on that yeah um i guess yeah i would totally agree with julian on that like that competitiveness i think that transcends like most sports and you kind of see that um in most like student athletes hopefully um i guess like one thing the fencing really taught me was like so like i always think i'm like i always kind of let myself down in fencing that's how i feel all the time right so i'm always going to these tournaments kind of in the back of my head expecting to win and I'll lose or um and so like you really only get to win like that one tournament or that every once in a while I'll actually do exactly what I was expecting to do um so it 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 is kind of takes a toll on me right in the sense that like you're training really hard and then you don't really achieve the result that you wanted to but then you have to go back to training really hard again right um and that like that kind of attitude of kind of like falling down and getting back up has transcended to kind of like my everyday life. Like in school, when I came to Columbia, I didn't think I would be doing well relatively academically compared to my peers, just because I was like, I obviously knew about Columbia's reputation. And then I always thought like everyone here is like genius. Like, um, so then I would, I would come in, expect to do really well because I was doing well in my high school relatively. And I went to as well as I, I wanted to, and then I would have to keep studying. Um, and I was able to kind of build and not like, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but that never give up mentality um, came from losing a lot in fencing and just keep going to try to get that one win or that one victory. Um, so I kind of apply that in that sense academically, but also like socially, like, or, or like when I'm playing other sports, like um, I don't really necessarily like take one loss too seriously. I could also just add one thing on the end of Sid's answer. I always joke that Sid has some kind of ADHD or inability to focus on things until it becomes completely necessary. Because as his roommate, I saw him procrastinating on a couple of things throughout the year. But I always remarked that Sid had this incredible ability to singularly focus on one thing. And like it was like nothing that I had ever seen before. And I could see him do the same thing with his schoolwork. 
that he did on the strip when he was competing. And I just thought that that was like a crazy example of, of uh, a skill crossing over from, from fencing into, you know, college student normal life. Yeah, I can definitely relate to, I don't know, I don't know how I expected to do my first year. I think the only thing that I expected was that Lit Helm was going to be terrible. And it was for me, like I hated it. And I like reading, like I like English. I decided to major in it, but I hated Lit Hum so much. I did terrible in every single reading quiz and I was trying so hard to do all the reading. I didn't understand half of it. I still don't know what happened in the Iliad. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It was, it was really hard because I felt like everyone else, they had like such a good grasp on what was going on and they were making all of these comments and like sometimes the comments didn't even make sense, but they had so much to say. And I just felt like everyone was doing so well in the class. And then I was telling my friend about this the other day. At the end of this like year, all of a sudden, randomly, people were like, yeah, this class was really hard. Like, I didn't even like understand some of the text. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, you never mentioned this before. I know. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that's so funny <laughs> because like half the time, like I'm in classes with people and like, like so i figured like a classic example of this was like we were doing a really hard like econ problem set one day and i'd figured out the solution like my way and i was comparing with my one of my friends and he explained like so much like just like absolute like like stuff theorems that he was like taking out of nowhere and like in my head i was like i i like i'm stupid like what am i doing in this class like where i can't even apply this thing and at the end of the day, like, so I submit my problem set and like the teacher looks at his stuff and he's like, what is this? Like, like there, there are just like numbers like scattered. And like, I feel like a lot of people at Columbia just like, they like say something like very simply, but they like, they, it's a very simple way to say something, but they make it seem like the biggest like revelation um, ever. Like, or in Lithum, like people would just be like, oh, um, what is it? Odysseus actually like, was going home to his wife or something but they would like remark about how like the tidal waves like actually represent like long lost like love between them two and, and stuff i was like what like in my head i'm like what am i reading this wrong or is it like or is it um is it just everyone else's inter interpretation is a little bit different but yeah no you're not reading it wrong i yeah i, was like, what? <laughs> I feel like people and like English professors love to say like, oh, you can't read into anything too much, but you definitely can. Um, and people, they find metaphors and like figurative language and things that don't, it doesn't even make sense half the time. That's how I felt in that class. Like they found such deep meaning in things. And like, I feel like in terms of analysis, I err on the side of like literal. Like I tend to think like what the author is saying is what, they're trying to say like obviously like metaphors and stuff they exist but they like would go so deep into it and I remember like when I was reading Sappho I was so I felt like I was like a sham because I was like I don't understand what's going on here like if any anyone that finds meaning in that like I really applaud them because I couldn't find couldn't find the meaning in that whatsoever wondering how important rankings and accomplishments and like things like meddling like how important that is to you all like is that 
what motivates you to keep getting better? And like, what do you do? Like once you've reached, you know, a goal that you have in your mind, like what motivates you to keep getting better? Sure. So as I explained earlier, I was not, um, you know, like a, like a star recruit that was highly sought after by many schools. Um, our coach like took an interest in me and, and thought that I could develop as an athlete. And now that I'm here surrounded by, uh, you know, very talented fencers, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the starters on the team. So I put my individual accomplishments kind of below on the scale of importance for me. Um, the performance of the team is far more important for me. And so whatever I can do to help the team, um, you know, function better or, or perform better, um, how I can help my individual teammates and ultimately get a, another NCAA championship, that is, that is what's really important to me keeping everybody happy on the team. Yeah, I think I think maybe I have a little bit of a contrast in that sense. Um, so I always, like, I view a lot of, like, individual results as very important to me. Um, but that being said, right, like, I think the compounding of individual results actually is what, like, allows the team to do well. So I take an interest in all my teammates' individual results as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of like a – it's it's a stupid thing in the sense that like everyone like takes rankings like very seriously like i grew up with like an a rated fencer was like is like that's the notion of you're like one of the top fencers if you have an a ranking and um when i was like a c rated fencer like all i wanted to be was an a rated fencer and now that like i'm an a rated fencer like i could care less about who else is an a rated fencer who else is a b rated fencer or c like that stuff doesn't matter right um so like there's like there's some rankings that I feel like are important but once you reach them like you realize how like trivial um like some of the stuff is like like I guess like the idea is that like you always like you're trying to seek something that you don't have but once you have it you realize that it's not that important um the only thing I I guess that I've found to be meaningful in the sense like when we won NCAA championships when we when I had it I was like this is amazing like and that's when you truly kind of understand like what's actually important out there. Right. So like, there's a few moments in my fencing career where I've been like, this was worth everything and I will remember this forever. And the next thing I want to do is kind of be in the same position again. Um, so like, I guess that's like my answer to accomplishing something and then trying to see what to do from there on. And I was also wondering if you guys could talk about how you think you've changed throughout your time at Columbia, both in terms of how you fence, but then also just like who you are as a person. To think about that one for a sec. Um, well, I think, at least for me, I've become a lot more confident in myself. Um, when I first came to Columbia, I was uh, subconsciously comparing myself to everybody and trying to see if I was meant to be there um, on the team. Uh, at the school, in my classes, I was always wondering, do I belong here? And and that kind of carried over to a lot of other things, not even about school, like if I was worthy of something happening to me. Now, I think uh, as a fencer and both as a, as a student and as a young adult, I feel a lot more confident in myself and in my abilities, both because of, you know, the validation that I've gotten from friends and uh, the achievements that I've had while I was in college. 
but um yeah now now i definitely approach things confident that i i do belong there and i do belong uh as that person solving those problems so yeah yeah i i would say that um i don't know i i guess coming to columbia like the the actual experience of being at columbia hasn't really been that much for like the academic insights or 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 like that much in like actually like learning stuff in that myself like i obviously have found that to be like really pleasurable but like just being surrounded by like people that are amazing like in every aspect right you have like julian is like when i see him studying some days i'm like that is impossible like he he's writing like these bio like organic chemistry stuff on our board sometimes and in my head i'm just like how does like how does he do this for like six hours in butler while i'm like playing video games like i feel like in my head i'm just like how is this possible um but like you just surrounded so like i would say like the reason i changed at columbia would be like i came to columbia kind of just like 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 a mold of clay like if you were to create a metaphor i know people at columbia like to but um like and you just see all these people right you see um, like one of our friends started a tutor agency for people, um, for kids that are like uh, struggling to get like the proper tutoring due to COVID. And you see like all these people like just doing amazing stuff and you become a better person regardless of like be, just being with these people. Um, so I think that's been my experience as being a better person at Columbia. I've just been able to take a little bit of Julian's like competitiveness to, to um to study and also take a little bit of like some of my other friends, like actual social activism and kind of see like what is going around the world that I can do to help. And like, you take a, a little bit of all these things and you, you instantly become a new person and, or more fulfilled person in terms of fencing. I just like think like, when you're better, when you're surrounded by better fencers with a, with a really great coach. Um, so my coach is like 97. So uh, actually our coach was 97. Right. So he's like, or not 97, not 87. Like 87. 87, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 87, 87. Like, no, no, like, yeah. He's like, he's like, so he taught me about like how fencing isn't just about physical fencing and like moving back and forth, but it's also like a mindset. Like, so I started doing like meditation and stuff like that. And like now, like that's like transcended like through my fencing. Like, I'm a much more calm fencer, like 4 4. I'm very like in a one touch bout climax or I'm very more, I'm like much more confident. I'm not stressed out about anything and I'm willing to accept like a, a victory or a loss um, more easily, I guess. But yeah, that's been my experience so far. asked you guys to come prepared with questions to ask each other so i was wondering if you could ask that uh, did you want to yeah. ask me my question all right all right oh yeah yeah no problem um so obviously i think i think we've like done a lot of stuff together what would you if you had like looking back at our four years or i know we still have one year left but looking back at our last three years what was like the best or the, the best thing that, or the coolest or craziest story, whatever story you can tell me that um, we did together. I just want to like reminisce about it, especially during COVID. I'm always like reminiscing about 
the good old times Absolutely. when we were. That'll, that'll take me no. a second. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of experiences there. Or what was your epitome of your Columbia career in terms of like what what was your, like the best day ever for you and and why was it? Well, I think uh, a lot of the best times that we had were immediately following tournaments. Um, a lot of stress is usually off at that time. Um, regardless of whether the tournament went poorly or went very well, we were just relieved to be through with the um, almost like a test, you know. And uh, after one particular tournament that went, unfortunately, actually very poorly our, our freshman year, um, kind of became known as the historical oh, the tradition yeah. to, um, I that. I to go out and kind of, you know, erase what had happened by um, trying, trying to have a good time. And that was definitely something that we look back on a lot as, you know, uh, I'd say it was a healthy way of, of processing it. Some people might disagree with me. But um, we definitely bonded a lot after after that tournament and stayed out pretty late at night and, you know, made some memories that I'm happy to look back on now. So now I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going to ask you a question, Sid. Sure. Yeah, go ahead, brother. All right. What's, uh, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in a competition, preferably a Columbia competition? Okay, this actually has to do with you. This is the crazy. This is by far the craziest thing in the world. Um, so, actually, this this story will make this podcast right here. I promise you. Um, okay. <laughs> you will be famous after this story because for a second I was famous just for being part of the story. Um, so we we're fencing in in a meet at UPenn. and I remember I was talking to one of my friends, and we're watching Julian fence, and he's fencing. Um, Another another college. I don't remember exactly what college, but um, Brandeis from D three. Brandeis, Brandeis, Brandeis. Yeah. So Julian's fencing, and I'm cheering on Julian, and all of a sudden I hear a blade snap, and I hear Julian turn around and he grabs his hand like this and he goes, ah, ah, and I was like, and I like in my head I was like, Julian, stop messing around, like. Okay, you got like hit by a blade. Like, stop messing around. Stop crying about it. Like, go back and fence. And I'm like, I'm like, in my head, that's all I'm thinking. And I'm like laughing around with my friend. Who I'm like, ah, oh, Julian's being like, he's being so like babyish. Like he's 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 like crying about like his hand getting hurt. And then when I turn around, I see a blade literally through Julian's hand, like punctured in and out. And he's holding it like this. He's like, ah, ah. And everyone stops. Like, the whole room stops. And we all look. And in my head, I'm like, Julian just lost his hand. Like, the blade's right through his hand. So he's holding it like this. And I'm just, like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God. And the so everyone's first reaction is, like, kind of petrification, right? But one of our teammates runs up with TikTok. So this is when TikTok was kind of getting famous. And he starts like TikToking it, and he's like, "Yo, my boy lost his hand!" And I was like, I was like, just shocked. Like I was like, "What is going on?" Right. So what ends up happening is they have like an like Julian has a blade through his hand. That, that's like the certain thing. It went through like the skin, like right here, um, and, and it came out the other side. Um, 
and he has that scar. Yeah, I don't know. You can see it, like when it's yeah, really yeah. Like right. Oh, here. it's right there. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, right there. Yeah. Um, and like this whole time, I'm trying to like comfort him. Um, and I get really scared, and like I'm thinking, like, oh, like is he gonna have nerve damage? Is is this gonna happen? And so I'm texting him. I'm calling his mom. I'm I'm doing everything. Like I'm, I'm um, and calling his our roommate too, our our, our suite mate, and we're talking about it. But also in the meantime, I posting on my story, and I'm getting replies like I've never gotten replies before. Like I might have been the most popular kid on campus, just because people are like, <laughs> "What the heck? He has a blade through his hand." And then Julian sends me an X-ray, and he goes, "Haha, got him," or something like that. Like very funny, and like obviously Julian wasn't in. I mean, he was in pain, but like he wasn't like severely like in excruciating pain i would say um but like he sends me an x-ray of a blade through his hand and that gets posted on my story people are dming me the whole like rest of the competition julian became known as the hero with a blade in his hand he got taken out <laughs> at the hospital there we come to school at columbia and people i don't know at all are coming up to julian and like even coming up to me to talk to julian about how he got a blade through his hand and like in the midst of all this, I'm like so like jealous in like a low key way. I'm like jealous of Julia. I'm like wow, like I wish I got stabbed so that many people would like wanted to be my friend. Like all of a sudden, um, but like that was the craziest thing that's ever happened. And like at least in a fencing competition, I've never seen anything happen. And like to this day, like we're in the process. We so we got the blade, and we're in the process of like putting it in like a mold or a cat, like or like hanging it up on a oh, portrait, no and we're gonna put it in the fencing room. Yeah. And it's gonna be like the hero I didn't even know or that. whatever. Yeah. Oh, but dude. That was pretty crazy. That's really sweet. You should send Ashley the or I'll send it to you, Ashley. There's an x-ray that's literally the best picture in the world of just like a blade pretty, through a yeah, person's pretty hair. gruesome. I don't know. <laughs> Leon, I did not know that you were this popular. Oh uh, not popular. It's yeah. pretty popular. Just by just by um just in passing. Just <laughs> came and went. Was Had it my very minute of fame. Was it very painful for a while after or no? Well, I think that I had a lot of adrenaline. Um, it was my first bout of the day, if I remember correctly. And so it was like 2 p.m. So I had been up since 8, kind of freaked out. And I finally got on a strip. And when I heard the blade snap and turned around and saw that it was through my hand, I was mainly just concerned about finishing the bout because I was up. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, my hand. Um, e even when I was sitting down and, you know, they had my arm elevated above my head, I was like, get this thing out so I can start fencing. I was like smiling. I wasn't really, the only time that it really hurt was when they took the bolt cutters and oh, nipped yeah. off the part of the blade that was hanging out of my hand. Um, I, I was not really in, in a ton of pain. And once they put the fentanyl in me in the emergency room, I was, I was cruising. I was not feeling anything. That's insane. In also, the days following, though, it, it did really hurt. Sid had to uh, help me put my shirt on, help me put some covering on my hand to go shower. It was pretty comical. Yeah. I was also well, yeah, wondering I kept on, like, if you yeah. guys... Go, no, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, he kept on, like, telling me. He's like, tell me it doesn't hurt, okay? Like, tell me I'm being, like, <laughs> a ba like, tell me I'm being a loser for crying about, like, how much pain it is. I was like why does it hurt actually it's like yeah but you have to keep on reminding me that it doesn't hurt and i was like yeah, it's just oh okay <laughs> and i was like cool just stiff like it's just stiff your head just cramping it's just stiff it's not hurting 
And we the whole time like, ah, ah. And like in the middle of the night, he'd be like, ah. And I'd be like, Julian, stop crying about it. Like it just, it just snipped, bro. And we would laugh about that, but yeah. That, yeah, that was crazy. I was also wondering if you guys could talk about the, the mental agility that fencing requires, because I know that it requires a lot. Um, and I'm assuming that's something that develops over time as you just get better. But yeah, I was wondering if you could talk about that. Yeah, I mean, like, I think fencing, we, we often compare it as like the mental, the physical sport of chess, right? So you're always thinking about your opponent, um, trying to think one step ahead. The, the biggest thing I would say is that like, on top of that, it's kind of like a one-on-one battle. So you take it very personal in that sense, things can get emotional. Um, one of my fondest, like, so like, there's, I'll say a memory of like, that I've had about like mental fencing at, at its peak was been like, when I'm at practice, sometimes I'm yelling at my opponent, like who's my teammate, but we're like fighting we're fencing and like, we get really into it. And so we get very competitive and like, I start like trash talking him. He starts trash talking me. And like, that's really fun. Um, and I would say it's a mental game and really keeping your common composure and focusing on that. But I remember it particularly like one fencing me, Julian was fencing this one guy. And um, like Julian scores a touch. Oh my God. Wait, and which one? This, this, this is the one. And he goes like, <laughs> like gets his ear and he's like, what? What do you say? What do you say? And then the next guy goes, so the next touch, the other guy scores. And he goes like, and the other guy goes like this. So like they're badly. I've never seen like this much trash talk in a fencing bout. And I'm watching this and Weird everyone's like getting hyped up. And then Julian scores another one and he like shimmies towards the guy. And everyone is just like, what is going on? But that was like one of the funniest, like mental, like I was like, I mean, in terms of like mental fencing, you're keeping your composure. But I would say like fencing is a super emotional sport, right? In the sense that like, it's a one-on-one kind of battle. So you, you take things very seriously. And if you lose, it's all on you. And if you win, it's all on you. Um, So like, that's been like, in terms of mental agility, I think it's, pretty much as important as physical the physical component um in fencing definitely agree with sid and that you have to be making plans and staying a couple steps ahead like it's a game of chess um one big thing is obviously not allowing your ego to get in the way which obviously sometimes happens to everybody but being able to adjust to changing stimuli very quickly um and having the confidence to follow through on your plan I think are really big parts of of the mental game. Hello, everyone. First of all, how crazy was that story about Julian's hand? I have been showing everyone that x-ray pic. I've been like, you're never going to believe this. And I just love seeing their reactions. And I've listened to the episode many times while getting the show ready. And that story truly never gets old. Every time I hear it, it's like the first time. Um, Anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to my talk with Sid and Julian. I felt like they had a really good grasp on the importance of balance. And I hope that one day I can balance the many spheres of my own life. And even though I'm not an athlete by any means, I found it really helpful to hear their perspective on things. So I hope you did too. I'll be back next week with an episode that is all about happiness.
how to find it, how to maintain it, what it even means. Until then, follow the podcast on Instagram at the figuring it out pod. And you can follow my personal account at Ashley underscore Garrison. Thank you so much for listening as I try to figure things out and I'll talk to you soon.